Well, good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 15, and we'll look at verses 9 through 11 in just a moment. Uh, As I was preparing to come to the Hubers for vacation, we're staying with them. They graciously, again, as they have many times, have opened up their home for our family to have a fun beach vacation. In fact, it's become something of a tradition. We showed up, last time we showed up, my son, who's seven, he was like, he called it our home away from home. So, uh, very grateful to our friends, the Hubers, but also, as I thought about your pastors, I had a heart full of gratitude just considering the effect and the meaningful partnership that your pastors have in Sovereign Grace churches. So, not in the same region. We should be in the same region, actually. Uh, When I first was ordained, I went to our first regional meeting with your church and others in the Northeast, immediately voted ourselves out. Now we're in the lower Great Lakes region, because when you think Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you think the Great Lakes. It's a... We went over to help out a new region with some, some younger pastors, uh, with uh, Ken Mellinger being a seasoned pastor, became the regional leader. But I just thought, like, it's wonderful the contribution that your church is making in Sovereign Grace Churches. Just spent time with Dan at a retreat um, recently, thinking about church planning on a phone call with Pat in recent days on the Emerging Nations team, thinking about global mission. Uh, Kyle working with the Response to Sexual Abuse Committee and serving us. There's just many ways that your pastors are serving in partnership in Sovereign Grace, and I want you to know how grateful I am because you are the ones who support your pastors in the work that they do. So, it it is a distinct honor and privilege to be with you this morning. Well, as Christians, we have a Excuse me. We have a rich history of taking the truths of Scripture and shaping them into songs for our children. But am I the only one who finds it odd that Christians have a penchant historically to take sobering, serious biblical narratives that describe terrible and traumatic events and turn them into children's songs? So, the Lord told Noah to build him an arky arky. It rained and rained for 40 daisies, daisies, nearly drove those animals crazy, crazies. And you do know that this is a, a horrific story of an almost complete mass human and animal extinction event as God executed His righteous judgment upon a world in rebellion, right? Or, Well, all of Pharaoh's army was coming too, so what do you think that I did do? I raised my rod and cleared my throat, and all of Pharaoh's army did the dead man's float, right? So, right, that funny story of thousands of men in Pharaoh's army drowned in the waves of judgment in the Red Sea. Dead man's float, indeed. Another one. And the sling went round and round, 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 and one little prayer went up to God, and the giant came tumbling down. Dude, listen, the giant came tumbling down because David crushed his temple 
with a rock and then proceeded to lop his head off with a sword. And if I have poked fun at one of your favorite songs, then I'm sorry for your life choices. Uh, Let me be more serious. In this world of Christian children's songs, I think we can all basically agree that one song stands above the rest in prominence and familiarity. A song that was first expressed in the 19th century book, Say and Seal, authored by Anna and Susan Warner. In the story, a sick little boy named Johnny, struggling to communicate, whispers to a teacher who is visiting him at his sickbed. Little Johnny struggles to whisper, but finally makes his request, sing. And his teacher, Mr. Linden, responds by singing these words, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, it does. And this morning in our text, Jesus comes to us and tells us so as he describes a love that is infinitely great, and he reveals how we can increasingly live in the joy of experiencing his love. So, let's look at John 15, verses 9 through 11, remembering that this is the Word of God. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Dane Ortland, in his wonderful, wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, says, the Jesus given to us in the Gospels is not simply one who loves, but one who is love. Merciful affections stream from His innermost heart as rays from the sun. In short, it is impossible for the affectionate heart of Christ to be over-celebrated, made too much of, exaggerated. It cannot be plumbed, but it is easily neglected, forgotten. We draw too little strength from it. So, this morning in these moments ahead of us, let us celebrate and make much of the love of Jesus and draw strength from His love. Three points in the sermon, getting at what Jesus is saying here. First, we'll look at the essence of His love. Second, the experience of His love. And then third, the effect of His love. So, first, consider the essence of His love. 
by way of a little context, having just declared earlier in this chapter that He is the vine and all who trust in Him are branches united to Him, experiencing life from Him, He makes the declaration of verse 9. Listen, verse 9, verse 9 is simply stunning. Most of us probably do not think this way on a daily basis. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He's describing the essence of His love. What kind of love does Jesus have for His own? The same love that the Father has for Him. Think about that. What kind of love is that? Well, it is eternal. Later in John 17, 24, when Jesus prays, He says, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me may be with You, may may be with Me where I am to see My glory that You have given Me because You loved Me before the foundation of the world. we, We do not know much about what God was doing in eternity past, but we do know this, there was the Father loving the Son. His love is perfect, as all that is in the Father is perfect and free from fault or blemish. Just so, His love for the Son is perfect and unwavering. His love is boundless, as He is in all of His glory and attributes, as they cannot be contained, just so the Father's love for the Son is boundless in its feeling and expression. Archibald Brown, great name, Archibald, the successor to Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in England, speaking of this verse says, grasp if you can what that love is that dwells in the heart of the Father toward the Son, and then, and not until then, will you know what is the love in the heart of Jesus toward you. Whoa. Not until you grasp in some measure the eternal, boundless, endless love of the Father for the Son can you then understand what is the love in the heart of Jesus toward you. This love is an ocean with no distant shore. It is a mountain with no peak or summit. It is a galaxy with no boundaries. It is a vast plain of beauty that stretches out to eternity. Grasp, if you can, that love that dwells in the heart of the Father toward the Son, because then and only then will you know what is the love in the heart of Jesus toward you. Do you think that the Father ever could or ever would Stop loving the Son. Rubbish. And that same unfailing love is how Jesus loves you. And it's not just a feeling in His heart, or He's not just describing sort of His inner emotional life and psychology. His love is active, ultimately and supremely expressed in His substitutionary death for sinners like you and me. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. What can we compare this to? 
What's an analogy? I, I would suggest there is no good one. Maybe something like the love we have for our children if we're parents. I would definitely jump in front of a car for my kids. But even that kind of love is a distant echo of the kind of love that Jesus has for us. Archibald Brown again says, the whole heart of Christ loves every saint to its utmost power. I know this is hard to realize, painfully conscious of our own utter unworthiness and of our 10,000 inconsistencies. We often feel that if Jesus will show us just bare mercy and pity, it is all we can dare to ask. But dear friend, that's, this is wrong. It is judging our Lord's love by our own. It is bringing Him down to our own low level. We have nothing to do with what we feel, but what He has said. And He has declared that His love to us is the same as his father's love to him. Are, are, you, are you painfully conscious of your utter unworthiness and your 10,000 inconsistencies and your stupid sins? Hear his declaration to all who have put their faith in him. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. So this is the essence of his love, but there's more he wants us to enter into with experience of his love. Second point, how do we experience the love of Jesus? Verse 10, he wants us to. He says, abide in my love. Take residence in. Make your home in his love. Now, how do I do that? Pray hard enough. Maybe attend the right kind of charismatic worship gathering. Well, here, Jesus actually brings things out of the mystical and makes it quite practical for our everyday lives. He says, trusting obedience draws us into the experience of His love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Later in the last chapter of John, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, we need to get this in the right order. We see here in our text that the fierce and boundless love of Jesus comes first, even before the obedience he calls for. But then comes the invitation to abide in his love by listening to him and obeying him. There is a good chance that some of us present here this morning, well, you just feel distant from Jesus. You would not describe your life right now as one of experiencing the love of Jesus and it may be because you are neglecting His commandments, harboring secret sin, treasuring a certain sin, withholding part of our heart 
and mine from Jesus. I will give you some, maybe most, but I'll just retain this little bit right here for myself. Listen, in doing so, you are cutting yourself off from the experience of the realized love of Jesus. Archibald Brown again says, a disobedient walk will ever prove a barrier to my entering and dwelling within the bright region of the Savior's realized love. Let me try to use a parenting analogy again. My love for my children is constant. I typically tell both of them at bedtime, I will always love you no matter what. And I mean it. But if they refuse to listen to me, then in our home there is discord and unhappiness. We are not enjoying the experience of love in those moments. And in a similar way, disobedience to Christ is a barrier into dwelling within the bright region of the Savior's realized love. And if you're thinking, yep, that's me. That's me. I'm aware I'm aware in this moment I have been reluctant to keep the commandments of Jesus. Listen, I am happy to inform you that there is a wonderful opportunity for you this morning. There is a new and wonderful opportunity to turn from your sin and self and come into the experience of the Savior's realized love. The great 19th century Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle writes, we must not misunderstand our Lord's words when He speaks of keeping His commandments. There is a sense in which no one can keep them. Our best works are imperfect and defective, and when we have done our best, we may well cry, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Yet we must not run into the other extreme and give way to the lazy idea that we can do nothing at all. By the grace of God, we may make Christ's laws our rule of life and show daily that we desire to please Him. So doing, our gracious Master will give us a constant sense of His favor and make us feel His face smiling on us like the sun shining on a, fi- on a fine day. And so we, we are justified. We are right before God by faith alone in Christ. That is settled and will not be revoked. But we remember here that we are in a personal relationship with God. We can please and displease our Lord. And we want to make it our aim to please Him and in doing so, experience the realized love of Jesus And His commandments are not burdensome when we hear the voice of this One who loves us so. The small and often neglected letter of Jude gives us further instructions on how to do this. Having said at the beginning of the letter of Jude that we are kept in the love of God by the grace of God. He concludes in verses 20 21, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So this is another way of saying 
Make it your aim to abide in the love of God. Jude says, do this by building yourself up in the gospel, daily remembering His amazing grace toward us in and through the gospel, and then energized by His grace, we seek to eagerly and passionately do all that Jesus commands. Jude says, praying in the Holy Spirit, pursuing relationship with Him through the Spirit given to every blood-bought son and daughter of God. And here's one that we often neglect, I imagine most of us do, daily cultivating an anticipation and expectation of the return of Jesus Christ and placing our hope fully in the glory that is to be revealed at His coming. In all of this, we get to experience that sense of His favor, the smile of God upon our lives as we abide in His love. Third and final point, the effect of His love. Listen, you should be aware and understand that Jesus is more concerned about your joy than you are. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The effect of understanding the essence, the nature of His love and making our home abiding in His love as we take His gentle yoke upon ourselves and follow Him, Jesus says this is the highway into fullness of joy. Unless anyone present be under the conception that Christianity is a straitjacket that enslaves one under the depressing weight of endless rule-keeping, trusting Jesus, receiving His love, abiding in Him, drawing strength from Him to follow Him is actually joy. Look, he says he wants His joy, my joy to be in you. He knows fullness of joy as one who perfectly abides in the Father's love and knows the experience of obeying the Father's commandments, and He wants to get that supreme joy into your life. He wants us to see His love and feel the effect of His love and so have joy. Consider the joy of God that He wants to implant in you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Do you hear the happy rejoicing of the Lord your God, rejoicing over you with gladness, singing the song of His everlasting love over you. Jesus wants us to enter into that joy, for in Him there is fullness of joy. This past year and a half, it has been a disorienting, exhausting season. How we need the joy of Christ. How we need our joy to be renewed in Him. And 
Can it get any more wonderful than Jesus saying His aim is to implant that joy in you? D.A. Carson in his commentary on John says, human joy in a fallen world will at best be ephemeral, passing away, shallow, incomplete, until human existence is overtaken by an experience of the love of God in Christ Jesus, the love for which we were created, a mutual love that issues in obedience without reserve. Do you need joy in this and in every season? Jesus comes to each one of us, all of us who are beset by weakness and acquainted with grief and exhausted and stumbling our way through life, declaring His joy in us. Maybe you, this past year is just the tip of the iceberg, and you are enduring a long season of suffering that will not relent. Maybe you are just simply numb with your battle daily with indwelling sin. And maybe you're wondering, has Jesus forgotten me? Has He abandoned me? Listen, Archibald Brown, one more time. He says, what? I think I can hear one of you saying, do you mean to say that Jesus loves me just as much when I am depressed? And deep down in the dark valley, as when I am full of sunshine and standing on the mount of God? Yes, I do, dear friend, quite as much. His love was never begotten by anything He saw in you and can therefore never be changed by anything about you. And you say, you don't understand. I am still a sinner. I am aware of my sin. But beloved, His love for you is such that He says in John 6.37, whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Dane Ortland in his book Gentle and Lowly says, no, wait. No, wait. We say cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there is perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand, but I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help.
the burden is heavy and heavier all the time, then let me carry it. It's too much to bear, not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed toward others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, beloved, in your difficult trial, in your suffering, you who know the daily experience of failure in the battle against sin, he has not and will not ever stop loving you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He will never cast you out. His love is such that if your entire world collapses, even to your deathbed, He will be present to love you and to take you to Himself forever. Knowing this, there is fullness of joy. Let me close with this. Jesus loves me This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Hear the Savior and know and believe the words of Christ. He loves you. He loves you so. Understand the essence of His love. It is the Father's love for the Son expressed to us. Enter into the experience of His love. Abide in His love. Oh, He is a kind and loving and gentle Master. And know the effect of His love. Joy. Abiding joy. His very joy in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is safe to say that not one of us present here has over-celebrated or made too much of or exaggerated the love of Christ. No, no, we, we are those who are finite creatures or weak, and we easily neglect and forget and fail to draw the strength You intend for us to have from the love of Christ. So I pray, as Paul did with the Ephesians, that You would grant each one present to be strengthened with power through Your Spirit in their inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, And that each one of us, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, so that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and be filled with the fullness of God.
Do this, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.